Uh, turn in your Bible to two places, uh, Luke chapter 14 and John chapter 9. I was uh, 14 or 15 years old. Uh, my church was uh, at youth camp type deal. And uh, during it, I was playing baseball catch with my uh, youth pastor. And, and we're just, you know, having a catch. And, uh, and I start telling a story of which the whole point of telling that story is that I am awesome. And everyone should know it. You know the stories. You, you got a few in your pocket and uh, when the doors open you pull them out and so I'm in some monologue about how wonderful I am uh, and uh, I finish the story and we're just just playing catch and he doesn't say anything he doesn't respond and he, he says you know Kurt uh, that's what my uh, people back in Missouri call me um, he said you're one of my favorite people uh, you would be my most favorite if you were not so dadgum cocky I mean, you know, what do you say to that? You can't be like, no, I feel like that proves the point. And uh, so I don't I don't really say anything. And we don't really talk much after that, that I remember. And I find some reason that I have to go. And it was kind of near some woods. I remember walking off into the woods and just wanted to be so mad at him and was mad at him. But, um, you know. Gosh darn it, if he wasn't right. And, and I think about that quite a bit. Because if there is one sin that can really infect our faith in Christ, it, it's pride. And Jesus talks about that in Luke chapter 14 at the end of a parable that he tells. He says in verse 11... And would love for you to look at this if you have a Bible. Luke chapter 14, verse 11. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus says this, there's this up and down that happens. If you exalt yourself, as I was doing that day, there is a humbling. Galatians chapter 6. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man, what? Reaps what he sows. So Jesus says, if you sow exalting yourself, you will reap being humble. But if you sow humility, then you will reap being exalted. So there's this up and down thing that happens in the kingdom of God. The things that would get us exalted in this life actually get us demoted in the kingdom. The things, the kingdom drives us downward into humility. God will end up exalting us in some way. And so I want to talk about spiritual pride today because I think that's what is happening in John chapter 9. So if you have your uh, finger there, go ahead and open it. At the end of John chapter 9, and we'll get here in just a second, but in verse 41, Jesus says to these religious leaders, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So essentially, they, filled with spiritual pride, said, we have all the perspective. We know exactly what is happening. We have our thumb on God's will. And Jesus says, wrong. The fact that you think that and believe that means that you're blind. But if you had just admitted I don't think I have all this figured out. I don't think that I'm seeing everything clearly. 
then, then he says, uh, your sin wouldn't be held against you. Uh, spiritual pride is deadly to our faith. Um, spiritual pride is the same as regular pride. So when you think about pride, um, spiritual pride, it's just, it's just anchored in my relationship with God or my obedience to God. Um, so just a few narrow parameters, which isn't it crazy that we have a relationship with God purely on grace. So for those of us who feel like we're earners today, I'm earning favor with God. I'm earning closeness with God because of church attendance, because of hard work, because of serving, because of Bible reading, because of prayer. That's a total mistake. We have a relationship with God only because God in his sovereign will and grace sent his only son into the world that through him, his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and promised return. For anyone who believes in that, we receive eternal life. So we only have a relationship with God because of grace, because of the grace of God. So isn't it just like Satan, our adversary, God's adversary, now our adversary, who would say, I'm going to take that faith by which you have a relationship with God, I'm going to make you take credit for it, not make you, I'm going to let you take credit for it, I'm going to tempt you into take credit for it, and then the scripture will say later on in the New Testament, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So we receive faith by grace, we have this relationship with God, but then taking credit for our relationship with God and the obedience that we do because of it then quenches our relationship with God. God. You can see how deadly it is, and it's almost impossible to see. Today's message, you can't self, uh, you can't diagnose somebody else, which we'll see in just a second. It really just has to be between you and God and me and God. Uh, God, am I blind? I think maybe I am blind. Will you help me see? And for those of us today who are like, oh, no, I think I have a pretty good perspective on everything. We are especially in Jeopardy. So if anybody is feeling super godly right now, I would just say, just get that out before we uh, get into the message. Cool. We see spiritual pride in the scripture in a few different places. We see it with John, who actually the Holy Spirit used to inspire this, uh, this book. Uh, he and his brother were known as the Sons of Thunder, which is, I just think, this the coolest nickname. Um, but it wasn't a good reason. Uh, they were judgmental. One time, Jesus is trying to travel from northern Israel down to southern Israel, um, and they go through Samaria. So it would be like if you needed to get to Kansas, uh, you'd have to go through Oklahoma. But if Oklahoma were a whole different nation, a different group of people, I mean, I know they are kind of different there, but you know what I mean. <laughs> and so you can go around, as we've talked about before, but Jesus and his disciples go straight through Oklahoma. And when they get there, they're preaching about the kingdom of God, and especially that the kingdom is open through Jesus, who's coming here and is in this village now. But the Samaritans, they reject Jesus, they reject his disciples. And so John and his brother James, they say to Jesus, hey, do you want us to ask God to send fire down from the sky? And he doesn't mean it like, wouldn't that be cool? And wouldn't that show them? He means it in a Sodom and Gomorrah type way. Do you want us to ask God to consume these people and destroy them? Right? Well, the only reason you would pray that prayer is out of spiritual pride. But What's hilarious is James and John have only been following Jesus for at maximum at this point, uh, you know, two and a half years, maybe three years. So it's not even like they've been followers of Christ for years and years and years and years, right? They recently have recognized that Jesus is the Messiah, but now they're totally judgmental about the Samaritans who are not willing to believe that uh, he is the Messiah. And so they say, well, let's just, let's just have God destroy them. That's spiritual pride. We also see the, the crushing weight of it in Galatians chapter 2. 
Because we can be on either end. We can be the givers or we can be the receivers of spiritual pride. Um, you remember the gospel um, is anchored in Jesus, who is Jewish. Um, the first followers of Jesus were also Jewish. The first then Christians who heard the gospel of his life, death, and resurrection, they were also Jewish. Um, and they, meant, they knew that, hey, this is, this is something radical. This is something different. But it was hard for them once the gospel went beyond their ethnic uh, borders because the Jewish people had a bunch of rules in which they lived by. So essentially they were adding the gospel into their rules. But now these Gentile people who are receiving the gospel, they don't have the rules, so they're not following the rules. And there's a big debate. Like how many of these Jewish rules do we have to pick up in order to be followers of Jesus? Well, the apostle Peter, he goes and he preaches to the Gentiles and he's with some people who uh, have believed in Christ, who were uh, of a Gentile background. And when he's there, he's not obeying any of the quote-unquote Jewish rules. So theoretically, in his Judaism, he shouldn't be eating uh, food with them. He should be eating separately. He should be washing his hands in a certain way. But he's with these Gentiles, and they don't do any of that, so he's not doing any of it either. But the church in Jerusalem, all the Jewish people, they send some... Uh, some people, some representatives to, to be with Peter in this Gentile church and they feel a little bit superior, superior uh, because not only are they followers of Christ, they also follow the rules, which you understand that, right? You feel one level of superiority when you're able to be a Christian who's reading their Bible every day and, and then you feel another level of superiority when you're a follower of Christ that's reading your Bible every day and you're praying every day and you're going on a mission trip and you're giving uh, and you know, the, on and on. We, you get that, right? The more rules you're following, the more you feel good about everything. So these Jerusalem Christians, they come in and they're like, we got it figured out. We're Jewish like Jesus. We're obeying not just his teaching. We're obeying the teaching of the Old Testament law. And so they bring all of that spiritual pride into this Gentile church. And you know what Peter does? Peter withdraws from those Gentile Christians and he starts washing his hands in a certain way. He starts eating only with the Jewish Christians. And this is Peter. This is capital A Apostle Peter. The first one to say that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says back to him in that interchange upon this rock, you Peter, I will build my church. And yet Peter just buckles under the crushing weight of spiritual pride. It's part of the reason it's so deadly because not only are we the aggressors, we can also be its victims. You see it a few other places and we definitely see it here in John chapter 9. Let's look at it together. We'll start reading in verse uh, 13. If you remember, just to catch everybody up, Jesus has healed a man born blind. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. There are a few things I would love for you to write down. We'll start with the very first one. Spiritual pride is confident but ignorant. Spiritual pride is confident, but ignorant. And that's what we see in verses 13 through 16. They say in verse 16, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Right? So they're just doing math, these religious leaders. 
If you want to honor God, you got to obey the Ten Commandments. In the Ten Commandments, honor the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Over the years, they made more and more rules in how you could honor the Sabbath and then some rules about how you could not honor the Sabbath. So you're not allowed to do any work on the Sabbath. And they believe that when Jesus bent down, spit in the mud, rubbed it between his uh, hands, put it on that blind man's eyes, that that was work. So Jesus is breaking the Sabbath. And then when he tells that man to go to the pool of Siloam and wash it off. And if he does, he'll be able to see. They believe that that was work too. So Jesus is sinning in two ways. He's sinning himself by working, doing the dirt into mud and putting it on the man's eyes. And then he's causing this other guy to sin by telling him to go to work. So they're just doing math. If you break the Sabbath, then, then you can't honor God. You're a sinner. And if you're a sinner, then, then God's not going to bless your prayers, so this man probably wasn't born blind. This miracle didn't happen. That's how rigid they were in their Sabbath interpretation. They're confident. They never even stop to second-guess themselves. But what do we know? We, we know they're ignorant. We know they, they're wrong. They say in verse 16, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But in fact... The main thing that John's gospel teaches us is that Jesus is from God. The son of God sent into the world to offer eternal life to people. And then John chapter one tells us not only is he sent from God, but that he is what? He is God. In the beginning was the word, capital W, and the word was uh, with God and the word was God. So these Pharisees, they're super confident about their interpretation and they're super wrong. And, and that's usually what spiritual pride does to us. It puffs us up, makes us feel like we have all the perspective. Meanwhile, we are blind. And the hard thing about spiritual pride, as I mentioned, it, it's not something that you can diagnose in somebody else. Because if a Pharisee came in here today, and these are the people that Jesus is, is speaking against, in this chapter, um, we would be amazed. There would be very little about their lives that we would be able to poke a hole in. When it came to behaving, they were the most behaved. They were the rule keepers of the rule keepers. We're looking for a campus pastor uh, right now, praying uh, through all of that. Um, if a Pharisee came in here, not only would we make him the, the campus pastor, they would fire me and say, you're the, we're giving your job to this guy. I mean, they were the pros, pro of followers of God's law. So you couldn't just go and look at their lives and their behavior and say, oh, I see spiritual pride. All of their sin was inward. It's invisible. Because that's the thing about spiritual pride. The things that make God oppose you get you credit with everybody else. That's why it's so hard. Because actually, the things that would make us prideful get us more and more accepted. Hey, come over here. Come and join us. Come and do our Bible study. Come and lead our Bible study. Come and do this. Come and do this. Come and do this. 
Meanwhile, God is saying, get further and further and further away. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's why we can't just trust that somebody would be able to see spiritual pride in me and I'd be able to see it in you. By the time other people are seeing it, we are way in trouble. It's all inward. So when Jesus spends a whole chapter saying to these Pharisees and religious leaders, woe to you, that's how every paragraph starts, woe to you. And then he calls them hypocrites. Their hypocrisy, for the most part, was inward. It was something that Jesus could see and they couldn't see because our pride makes us confident, but in fact, we are ignorant. Number two, our spiritual pride is hyper-focused on the potential error of others, but blind to the errors within. Again in verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Now here's the craziest part. Back in chapter 8, if you've been with us for the last few weeks in a row, you remember that they are trying to murder Jesus. Um, Chapter 6, 7, and part of chapter 8, Uh, they're doing that in small groups, kind of behind the scenes. But in chapter eight, towards the end, Jesus says it out loud and he connects the dots for everybody to hear because they say, our father is Abraham. And Jesus says, no, your father is Satan. And they're like, how does that make sense? Because Satan is a murderer from the beginning with Cain and Abel. Uh, You're trying to murder me. Therefore, you are children of Satan because they're trying to murder him. So, So imagine that you are plotting for someone's death They heal somebody on the Sabbath, roll some dirt around in their fingers, put it on somebody's eye, and you feel totally justified in condemning them. Now, you know, I'm not a rocket scientist, but murder, Sabbath breaking. I mean, that doesn't feel like even in the same ballpark, does it? But that's what spiritual pride does to us. It makes us hyper-focused on not just an error in somebody else, the potential error in somebody else. We start getting concerned about somebody else. Meanwhile, totally blind to any error from within. And the reason that we get hyper-focused on the errors of others and we can't see them in ourselves is because we are too busy trying to figure out what to take credit for in this life. Again, it's crazy to think that we would take credit for any of our relationship with God, but we will take credit for anything that we can repeat. Um, None of you guys would ever go to Las Vegas because it's uh, Sin City, but um, theoretically, you might go there for the shows, wander uh, into the, the, the tables and stuff. I'm joking. I know many of you have been to. I follow you on Instagram, so I know that you're really there. Uh, if you listen to people who have been to Vegas and come back, um, they will brag about their skill at the blackjack table because uh, even though it's mostly luck, unless you're an MIT genius, uh, it's mostly luck. But there are some things that you can do. But nobody ever brags about, at least I've never heard anybody brag about their ability to play the slot machines, right? Because any, literally any monkey could do that. You put the money in, you pull the lever. You know, people are not strategizing. Pull it real slow, you know? <laughs> Or pull it real fast, right? You don't take credit for things that you can't repeat. That's why nobody takes credit for winning the lottery. It's just pure luck, right? But what we boast about is something that we did, somebody noticed, and we can do it again. Well, our spiritual lives are filled with lots of things that we have to repeat. That's a big part of following Christ. Daily, repeated faithfulness. 
every day being in the word of God because the word of everyone else, including the word from within is not enough. We gotta be in the word of God. Daily prayer, daily serving, daily in community. These are all things that you have to repeat. And anytime we start repeating something successfully, we want credit for it. So we end up being hyper-focused on the errors of others because we're constantly giving ourselves credit for all of the godliness that we are repeating. So you can see how once you get on that trail, it's really hard to get off. And once you start noticing the success in yourself, it's easier to start noticing the the failure in, in somebody else. These, these religious leaders, I mean, their hypocrisy is off the chart. They're trying to murder an innocent person. Meanwhile, they're bothered that he healed a man on the Sabbath. When I was um, a, a teenager, uh, my grandfather bought a Bible for himself and he bought a Bible for me. And so we had the same Bible during my teenage years. And, th- and it was during those years that God really got a hold of my life and lifted me up out of the miry clay and set me on his rock. And, and so it just was one of those seasons where I just could not get enough of uh, God's word. And um, when I was 19, Amanda and I had just recently started dating. And I met her uncle for the first time. And we were at church and he saw my Bible and he noticed it. And he was like, whoa, that's really worn out. And what he was saying is like, that's cool. You must be reading it a lot. And I was like, yeah. I am. Do you not feel the aura of holiness around me when you... That day, I, I could take you to the row at church that we were at. Uh, up until that day, I don't think I had ever thought to put the condition of my Bible out there as a way to get credit. And I have not bought one Bible since then in the last 20 years that I have not thought about that. I mean, what kind of sick person thinks, how can I get credit for the condition of my Bible. But what sick person tries to take credit for how often they are drawn to prayer or how committed they are to the brothers and sisters of the family of God? We'll take credit for anything and everything. And it laser focuses us on the weakness of the others because we constantly are giving ourselves credit. Number three, spiritual pride refuses any truth that does not affirm its own pride. That's what happens in verse 17. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened, the man replied. He is a prophet. Now that was a pretty safe answer for this man. Uh, It's clear that the Pharisees... They're not pro-Jesus at this point. And so he just lobs out. I think he's a prophet. That was safe. It acknowledges that Jesus has done an extraordinary work in his life. uh, But it also is not so out there that he's going to get in any trouble for it. He's a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. So imagine that. People have brought this man to the Pharisees. Which is already odd because a miracle has happened in his life. And... And, and who do they bring him to? They bring him to the spiritual police. 
Um, they don't celebrate. They, they, they bring him over to the Pharisees, evaluate this, because this happened on a Sabbath. And, and then they don't believe that a miracle has happened because it just doesn't compute. Jesus broke the Sabbath in their mind. God wouldn't honor his prayer and request to heal this man. So the only outcome for this equation is that this man really wasn't born blind. So they go and ask for his parents. Right. Number four, spiritual pride wins conformity through fear instead of trust. Verse 19, they ask his parents, is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he now can see? We know that he is our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Now, to be put out of the synagogue, don't hear to be put out of church because if you were put out of a church here in our culture, literally, I think there are four churches on Britmore within a mile. There, there will be lots of church options for you to land back in, I'm sure. But to be put out of synagogue was much more. Yes, you are put out of your spiritual family, but you're also put out of the, the community. Um, it was in the synagogue that you received community news. It was in the synagogue that uh, great things happened. Marriages happened. Birth happened. Uh, baby showers happened. Circumcision happened. All, all these different things that we celebrate even in our culture, they all happened inside the synagogue. It was a political place. It was a community place. It was a spiritual place. So to be put out of it was a big deal. And this man's parents, they don't want to be put out of it. So when the religious leaders go and ask them to come and bear witness to what has happened, that this has uh, occurred in their son's life, they, they just roll him up and they throw him under the bus. Right? Now, when it says, they say he is of age, uh, that means that he was at least 13. Uh, he could have been older than that, but I think he was probably closer to 13 than 50 because you were 50 years old and this happened to you. Uh, you know, I don't think that they would call a 50-year-old's parents, even if they were still alive. Like, you know, when you were 16 and you had your first job, if you messed up or you didn't show up, they would call you. And then if they didn't call you, they would call your mom and dad probably and be like, hey, where are they? But for those of you who are 50, if you don't show up for work tomorrow, I, I bet they're not going to call your mommy and daddy, right? So I can't prove it, but I believe that probably he was closer to 13 than being a full-grown man. And that's why they go and ask for his parents. And his parents, they don't want any part of this. And so they just give a vague answer. Go ask, him, go ask him how this all happened. We don't know. We do know that he was born blind and he's our son. That's it. But the spiritual pride of, of the Pharisees put them in a position where they either had to conform to what the Pharisees wanted or to be um, afraid of being put out of the synagogue. And, and that's what spiritual pride does. It, it influences by fear. You cannot disconnect spiritual pride and fear. The reason that we put out a boast, spiritual otherwise, is because we are afraid of living without the most approval and acceptance that we can possibly get. We're afraid. We want more of that. We crave it, so we put it out there. Hey, I'm so great. When we receive it, Fills our pride tank up a little bit. And now we got to put it out even more. And then what do we do? We withhold that approval from other people. And that's what the Pharisees are doing. They're withholding approval 
this mom and dad and this man. We're going to put you out of the synagogue if you don't tell us what we want to hear. And churches do this all the time. Uh, at my church growing up, when you got right with the Lord, that's what they would say. When you got right with the Lord, uh, you know, major things, scripture, prayer, all that stuff you had to do. But one really practical thing you had to do is you had to get rid of all of your uh, non-Jesus music. Uh, nobody said that out loud, but that was sort of the culture. If you were real serious with the Lord, uh, then you weren't going to listen to anything that was not uh, Jesus uh, scripture centered. So, centered. so uh, whenever I got right with the Lord, uh, then I gave away all of my music, which at the time was mostly gangster rap. I know that kind of it makes sense looking at me, but it was. I got rid of all of it. And because uh, that's what you what we did. Uh, you fast forward years later, uh, Amanda and I have started dating. We're in college now. You know, I'm from Missouri. That's a, that's the promised land. That's where all the Lord's people are. And um, but her church didn't get that memo that if you're right with the Lord, you don't listen to any G- non Jesus uh, centered music. And uh, and so I'm flipping through her CD binder, which is something we'll never say again. Um, <laughs> And it's Jesus music, Jesus music, Jesus music. And then there's an NSYNC CD in it. Now, some of you are babies and you don't know NSYNC, but they were, they were popular. <laughs> and I stopped. You know, just let it hang in there a little bit. And she got the message. <laughs> NSYNC had to go. I didn't explain why. I didn't connect the dots to renewing your mind or any of that stuff. You know why? Nobody connected the dots for me. Just if you wanted to be on the inside of this church, you listen to Jesus-only music. And what happened? I passed that right on to her. You want to be on the inside of this relationship with me and you? That's got to go. And that's how spiritual pride replicates itself. You see it in somebody else. You're afraid of being rejected by them. So you do what they do and then you pass it on to someone else. Pharisees say, you should be afraid. We can make your life miserable. We can push you out. And parents don't want that to happen. And so they make the parents make a choice that God is not asking them to make. And that's how you know that you're in trouble in life. When you are asking others to make choices that God is not asking them to make. You and I have overstepped. Number five. Spiritual pride labels others incorrectly and treats them accordingly. This is where we're going to finish. Spiritual pride labels others incorrectly and treats them accordingly. Verse 24. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. They had already labeled Jesus as a sinner and they started treating him as a sinner. That's why they felt justified in trying to murder him because he was a sinner. They knew that. That was a label they had given him, but he's claiming to be the Messiah. No way. He's a sinner. He can't be alive. Number six, spiritual pride sees only through the lens of self. Spiritual pride sees only through the lens of self. Verse 25, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. 
Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? He's saying that sarcastically. Verse 28, then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So they... He turns their math equation around on them. You say he broke the law of Sabbath. That doesn't honor God. God doesn't listen to prayers of people who don't honor him. This healing was fake. The man turns it around. I was healed. This man did it. God listens to the godly. This man is from God. But these Pharisees, they could only see through the lens of self. And they missed it. And listen, they missed it so bad. Their spiritual pride was so infectious that 2,000 years later, people who can trace their lineage back of, of the Jewish ethnicity still cannot see Jesus as Messiah. Spiritual pride is it's dangerous. It's dangerous and it is influential and it hurts people. And so Jesus comes to minister to this man after they put him out. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found them, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. For judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him and heard him say this asked, what are we blind to? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. I think the best possible prayer for us to pray as we finish and leave today is, God, I think I may be blind. I know that there are some things that I can't see. God, will you help me see? So I'd love to finish that way. If, if you wouldn't mind bowing your heads and closing your eyes. Would you just offer a prayer to God? God, am I blind? Maybe I don't feel blind. But am I blind? God, if so, what ways have I been blind? And will you help me see? God, help us to see. In Jesus' name, amen.